I would like to talk about your car thing, your, well, your midlife. My midlife crisis. Yeah, car okay. catastrophe. How many I bought? I just how many? Well, you had, you were basically like a valet car parker in your own house for a while. I still am. You still are. I feel like I still am. How many am. cars do you have? Five. You have five cars right now. Five cars. Why? 
Wait. I have the Porsche. Yeah. Then I have my BMW. Then I have another BMW. Oh, so you're still having this crisis. I thought this was a... No, I stopped buying them. No, 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 this so was the thing of the past. Why do you sure. have two BMWs? One, you got to see this other BMW I got. No. The whole car thing started when I, my first Porsche that I bought. All right, so walk Secretly. us through. Because I'm like, whoa, I cannot believe I have this car. A, I sort of shouldn't buy this car, even though I did it. B, I can't let anyone know that I have this car. I have to keep it a secret. Including your family? No, my family knew. My, my immediate family knew. Some family members didn't know. Good friends didn't know. How long that you didn't know for at least four years. Why would I care? That I, I had a Porsche. I thought it was cool. I took it as, what are you doing buying a Porsche? The day that I went to pick it up, was I got, not decked out, but I wore something kind of cool. Summer, didn't sleep at all that night. It's like, I'm picking up my car of my dreams. First thing in the morning, nine o'clock, I'm picking up my car. Literally, I even told the dealer, I'm like, I feel like I'm going on my first date, picking up for the prom. $70,000 no. Payments, $1,100 a month, a lot. You see now, that's the reason why I was like, this is crazy. This is crazy, I'm writing the last signature, sign here, sign here, and, I'm, and my, my inner voice is saying, you are nuts. Sign, you are nuts, sign. You got kids in college pretty soon. You know, you could be using that money, right? College, sign. Congratulations, you have a car. I'm like, okay, I did it. I couldn't tell people. That was the reason why I'm like, I can't tell anyone. Two weeks later, I had a staff party, huge staff party. Coming to the house, I had to take that car out of the garage and park it 20 blocks away from, I had to put it in someone else's garage because I didn't want my staff to see, God damn, Joe, man, look at this, he's got a Porsche. Well, where's, no, where's our money? Where's, where's our, our money? Oh, he's yeah. now, now I know why he's busting our ass all the time. You know, this way he could buy himself all his toys. You know, Natasha was always like, you know what? You worked hard. You deserve it. Enjoy it. And that's it. So five years goes by. I have the title. Car's paid off. Done. Right? Two months later, after the car is paid off, what do I do? I sell it. I trade it in for a BMW. I Did you still love the car when you... Oh, when I got rid of it, when I sold it, after five years having it, I loved it, I got depressed. Depressed not because it was a car, but depressed because um, I continue on the pattern regarding selling something, I, you know, letting go of something that I really love. It's letting go. Why did you, why were you doing that? That's, that's the whole, you know... Was it that you were afraid that it would be taken away from you if you did not get rid of it yourself? No, it was like looking for the next. When it's like, there's no need to look. It's there. Did you immediately know that you'd made a mistake? Oh, totally. Totally. Then the next day I call up, I'm like, how can I buy my car? Like, well, you can buy, but you're going to be, we're going to... 20%. It's 20%. I'm like, oh, God. And then I kept the BMW for a bit, and it was never like my point. And then I got rid of that car. I got rid of the BMW and got back to a Porsche Turbo that was just like the one that I sold. And then I got rid of that, and then I got into the one that's parked outside. And so how many cars did you go through? Within my crisis? One, two, three, five. 
five cars. I mean, you used to talk to me, oh, I should never have gotten rid of that Wagoneer. I love that car. The Wagoneer was the best car. I still saw that car and I still see it around my town. Oh, really? I'm like, that, that goes that car. Still going. It's huh. probably got 200,000 miles, who knows. Didn't Lily crash one of those cars? No. You know, she, she did. She did. She did. She did, that's right. I'm like, okay, Lily, put the car in reverse, but just wait. Turns it on. Instead of putting it in reverse, she throws it in drive, but the car was revving so high that it just jerked. Goes through the garage door into my Porsche. Things fall on it because things were, were hanging from the garage. Yeah, so she did some, you know, cosmetic damage to it. Did you have it fixed? Yeah, of course, like, next day almost.
Gurdjieff's father was dying, his last words to Gurdjieff are immensely significant. Perhaps no father has ever advised his son with such a great insight. And Gurdjieff was only nine years old. So the father said, I know you may not be able to understand right now what I am saying, but I have no more time. I have to say it now. But you have time, just remember the words. Whenever you have maturity enough to understand what those words mean, then act on those words. But don't forget, remember a simple sentence it is. He told Gurdjieff to repeat three times the sentence so he can die peacefully. And he said, forgive me because I am not leaving any inheritance to you except this sentence. And what was this sentence? A very simple sentence. He said, remember that if somebody creates anger in you, tell the person that you will come after 24 hours to answer him. And for 24 hours, wait. And after 24 hours, whatever comes to you, go and do. strange advice, but not strange if you understand. And this simple advice changed Gurdjieff's whole life. This single sentence made a man like Jaji Gurdjieff that kind of man is created in centuries. But the old man must have been a man of great insight. He left nothing else. He said to his son that now you will have to look after yourself. Your mother is dead, I am dying. You will have to earn your bread, you will have to learn things on your own. A nine-year-old child. But this became a great opportunity for him. Because he started moving with nomads. He was born near Caucasus in Russia. Still there are nomads, wandering tribes. Even 60 years of communist torture 
has not been able to settle down those nomads because this they consider to be men's birthright and perhaps they are right
Ando again from senseiando.com. So the other night I took a really good knee to the head and it gave me two things. One, a splitting headache and two, the idea that it's time to make a video on how to take a punch. Now, if you do a search on that topic, you'll find a bunch of good videos already out there. They'll tell you to keep your jaw shut, keep your chin down, stay loose and always roll with that punch. That's all exactly right. But what do you do when you can't slip it and you can't roll? What do you do when you actually take the shot and get rocked? Today I'm going to give you two training tips that will not only help you take a punch, they'll help you get back into the fight. Please remember, I am not a medical professional. I'm just a guy who's been clocked a lot. So take my advice and practice at your own risk. Okay, so you get rocked. Bam! Tip number one is probably the best piece of advice I've ever gotten in the martial arts. Here it is. When you get hit, focus before you quit. Let's say you take a kick right to the face. Boom! Ah, hold it, hold it. Let's say someone jams their fingers right into your eye. Ah, stop, stop. You see the problem there? Look, life will not stop for you. Time will not stop for you. Bad guys will not stop for you. When you get rocked, you've got to do something to get your focus back. Take a breath, take a step, uh, get back into your stance, throw a punch, do something to help you move through the moment instead of trying to stop it. Once you get your focus back, then you can stop. When I got kneed in the head the other night, my partner stopped himself. He's like, oh, sorry, sorry. But I said, no, it's okay, just keep going, keep going. Now, I didn't go for 10 minutes. I just went long enough to clear the cobwebs and put myself back into a strong position. So let me be clear, I'm not telling you to ignore your pain or your fear. I'm telling you to control it. The next time you get jammed in the eyes, or you break a finger, you tweak your knee, you get elbowed in the face, don't freak out. Take a breath, protect yourself, and get your focus back. It may sound crazy, but the moment when you get rocked or even injured, that's the closest you're going to get to the feeling of a real fight. That makes it the most valuable moment in all of your training, so don't waste it. When you get rocked, you get a glimpse at the real you. Who are you when you get hit? Are you a quitter or are you a fighter? Do you lose your mind or can you keep your cool? Just know this, if you are training to quit and give up every time you get rocked or hurt, you, my friend, are training a habit that's going to get you killed in a real fight. So last time, when you get hit, focus before you quit. Tip number two, give yourself a trigger word. You know how security dogs are trained to attack when they hear a secret code word? One second they're lying there licking themselves, then you say sauerkraut, and suddenly they turn into a killing machine? Well, you can do the same thing. Not the, the licking part. I meant just the moving on. When you get rocked, it's easy to get lost in a fog of pain and panic. If you want to survive, you got to clear those clouds as fast as possible. And repeating a trigger word, well, that's one thing that works for me. When I get rocked, I used to say, go, go, go. And then I started using fight, fight, fight. It doesn't really matter what you pick. You can say, shazam. You can say, ye na chuk. You can say, die, mother die. It doesn't matter. Just pick something that fires you up. Make it your mantra. Make it your battle cry. Now this is important stuff because even though you may start the fight with a lot of confidence and bravado, once you take a shot, the voices in your head can easily start turning on you. 
You're gonna hear them shouting, ow, run, hide, mommy. You can't let that happen. Remember this, you can't control a fight if you can't control your mind. So give your mind something to focus on. One word is all it takes to get you back into the fight. All right, guys, the hour is, we're done. The Barbarian in the Valley hour is just like, uh, that went fast. Now I gotta go out and, I guess I gotta go out and take a beating right now. I'm looking, uh, it seems like the giant hasn't moved in a while. So I'm like thinking, I think he's asleep out there. So that means like technically I could kind of sneak past him, you know, just not take a beating today. I don't really want to take a beating today. But on the other hand, I'm like, I'm kind of like, well, yeah, I'm going to take a beating sometime. I just spent the last hour sweating it. Might as well get it over with. And you know, I think I'd be better if I took a beating. Because you know what my biggest problem is? Do you understand what my biggest problem is? My biggest problem is I don't have a big problem. I'd be better off with six stitches in my head than the way it is now. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out in that lobby and I'm going to wake the giant up. And maybe because he's kind of sleepy, he'll take it easy on me. But I'm about to go out there and take a beating. Because you know what? In life, you're always going to take a beating. Somehow. Anyway. I am the BIQ. I am the barbarian in question. And I'm about to take a massive beat down. And you are listening to Barbarian in the Valley. And so you too. You too. Are taking a massive beat down. Pray for me folks. Remember me folks. Folks.